and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and a bird watcher. I'm also a huge fan of history. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, and anything weird, dark, and funky from the past. Each day, I'm going to share one of my favorite deep cuts with you. So let's take a look at today's stories. It's 365 with MXM Tune every day so don't leave too soon i'm gonna teach you stuff no it won't be tough gonna go a year till you've had enough it's 365 did you know that one of the fastest and most shocking extinctions on record happened to a species of pigeon but also that we have these pigeons to thank for the first acts of environmental conservation in america the stunning decline and death of the species forced humans to grapple with the incredible toll of industrialization and human action on our land and wildlife. Let's reverse. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, the population of passengers' pigeons in the United States went from literally billions of pigeons to zero within only a few decades. On this day, in 1914, the last living passenger pigeon died in captivity at the Cincinnati Zoo. Her name was Martha. But who were the passenger pigeons, and how did they go extinct so fast? Passenger pigeons were native to North America, living solely in the land east of the Rocky Mountains, from the southern United States up to Canada. They were the most abundant bird species on our continent, and some scientists think maybe in the entire world. They would migrate, and flights of literally billions of birds, accounts from the time described their approach as a cacophony, of wings that sounded like thunder or galloping horses. Then, billions of birds would darken the sky for hours as they flew over. People would run for cover. When the migration passed and people ventured out from their homes, they described a post-apocalyptic view of a landscape covered in, well, bird poop. But the migrations were also magnificent. A Potawatomi chief, Simon Pakagan, described watching millions of them land in a valley. He said, I have stood by the grandest waterfall of America, yet never has my astonishment, wonder, and admiration been so stirred as when I have witnessed these birds drop from their course like meteors from heaven. So what happened? Well, we already know the answer. Humans happened. More specifically, the early American pioneers. As these settlers traveled west across America in the 1800s, they hunted and killed passenger pigeons to eat. Farmers also killed the birds because they tended to eat through a lot of crops. But the real extermination didn't happen until the railroad expanded. After the Civil War, railroads became the new way to travel across America. With this new ease of transport, passenger pigeons boomed into a huge food market, and they were hunted and sold off all around the country. Hunters and sportsmen used all kinds of gruesome methods to kill them en masse, even lighting up forests, poisoning them, trapping them, burning trees full of nests of baby birds. The native tribes recorded their horror at seeing the pigeons so gruesomely and methodically eradicated. But people assumed that no amount of hunting could make a species so large go extinct. Unfortunately, they were wrong. In addition to the mass hunting, new farming and industrialization efforts were destroying the birds' habitat. They simply couldn't survive this double onslaught and quickly disappeared until Martha, living in the Cincinnati Zoo, was the last one left. 
In 1900, a congressman in Iowa named John F. Lacey introduced a Wildlife Protection Act as a response to the devastation of the passenger pigeons. He told Congress, the wild pigeon, formerly in flocks of millions, has entirely disappeared from the face of the earth. We have given an awful exhibition of slaughter and destruction, which may serve as a warning to all mankind. Let us now give an example of wise conservation of what remains of the gifts of nature. The act was passed, and many conservation laws would follow. In 1947, the Wisconsin Society for Ornithology erected a monument to commemorate the lost species. It was the first monument ever built to commemorate the extinction of a species. A conservationist named Aldo Leopold wrote an essay called On a Monument to the Pigeon. Here are a few of the beautiful lines from the essay. Something I find interesting about this monument is that, while humans have been the leading cause of environmental destruction, we're also the only species that seems to mourn the extinction of another species. What can we learn from that? Well, that we also have the power to cultivate the life around us. Human activity, including pollution, development, global travel, etc., has put large amounts of animals in peril extinction. Right now, scientists estimate that 13% of birds are threatened, 25% of mammals, and 41% of amphibians. And while in some ways extinction is a part of nature's inevitable cycle, by speeding it up we can cause unnecessary and unfixable damage to our ecosystems. Extinction has far-reaching effects. Because every species is in some way reliant on every other, losing just one can decimate food chains, change the landscape, lead to chain reactions of entire ecosystems collapsing, and destroy human livelihoods. So what's being done? Conservation projects are doing critical work every day to help protect endangered species. Addressing climate change is also critical since climate change is now the leading threat to hundreds and thousands of species on planet Earth. There's an ironic similarity between the story of the passenger pigeon and our current story of climate change. Remember how people just couldn't believe that our human actions could possibly eliminate such a massive species as passenger pigeons? They were basically extinction deniers. In the same way, we now have climate deniers, who struggle to accept that human activity could really change the climate significantly. By accepting the reality and taking action immediately, we may be able to save thousands of species in the years to come. Now, let's talk about music. September 1st, 1995 was a big day for Cleveland, Ohio, with the grand opening of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Music. More than 10,000 people gathered for the opening, including celebrities like Yoko Ono and Little Richard. The next day, a massive benefit concert saw performances from artists like James Brown, Bob Dylan, Jerry Lee Lewis, Aretha Franklin, and Johnny Cash. A search committee considered several cities before settling on Cleveland, including Philadelphia, Memphis, Detroit, Cincinnati, and New York City. What was Cleveland's claim to fame? Well, according to the historic record, it was a Cleveland DJ who coined the phrase rock and roll, and Cleveland was the location for the Moondog Coronation Ball in 1952, which many cite as the first major rock and roll concert. But in the end, it may have been the $65 million that Cleveland agreed to put up for the deal. Now the museum sees over half a million visitors each year and is a major economic engine for Cleveland's local economy. And now for today's final segment, I'll be going into my own photo archives to see what I was up to on a September 1st of my life. Wow, I cannot believe we have approached the last month 
of 165 days with MXM Tune. We've been doing this since September 13th of 2020, and now it's almost been a full year. We're on our last month, everybody. Let's see if I have any interesting memories. On September 1st, 2018, I was looking at comments of an upload for my song, Cliché, which had been out, I think, for a little bit at that point, but I was looking at the comment section because I believe it was one of the first times that I had had a video of somebody uploading something of one of my songs on YouTube blow up, and I was curious what people were saying, and there was a lot of sweet comments like, I love that this song doesn't specify about who she loved, boy or girl. Everyone should always love who they want to love. There was one that was like, um... I don't know why I'm mad. It's just a song, but I wanted them to get together at the end. And then there was another person that was like, a bunch of people were like, it's so cute. It's so cute. But there was one comment that said, everyone who is listening to this and is depressed, just stop. Stop listening to songs that you can relate to. It's only making it worse. And I remember screenshotting that and being so viscerally like upset at it because I was just like, that's so wrong on so many levels. Being able to listen to music and hear your story and relate to it, it can be painful sometimes when the memories of whatever's happened in your life ring very close to whatever the subject matter is in certain songs, but never let people stop you from consuming art that feels cathartic to your own experience. You know, that's just counterproductive. I make art to, to help me understand what's going on in my life and hopefully other people can listen to it and figure out what's going on in theirs as well. Thanks for going back in time with me and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Come back tomorrow for more stories from the past. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365.